Okay, if you would, please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. In a moment I'll read. And we will be focusing on the second part of verse 14 of Ephesians 6. Let's pray. Father, help me, I ask, by the power of Your grace working in me as a teacher. Help me, placard, unfold, unveil, make clear Your holy word to us through Your Apostle Paul this morning. Cause our hearts to grasp and to see and to revel in our Savior, Jesus Christ, to the glory of His name. Amen. For the last three weeks since we've entered this passage in Ephesians 6, we have seen that all believers are in a battle. We have enemies, Satan and demonic forces. And Satan is out to torment, to confuse, to defeat, and to lead astray Christians. And that's why the Apostle Paul calls us to, quote, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And to take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. And so he tells us in our verse, stand therefore. Having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's huge. God has given to all of His children a gift. It is the gift of righteousness. And it's really good news. Actually, that's what gospel means. That's why the gospel is the gospel. Great news is that in Jesus, God has given to the ungodly the gift freely of righteousness. And Satan and his demons do not want you to grasp it. They don't want you to get it. They don't want you to see it. They don't want you to revel in it and to be protected by Satan's schemes against you with it. But your loving Savior, He wants you to see it. He wants you to rest in it. 
He wants you to fight your innate legalism with it. He wants you to ward off Satan's accusations that you're not good enough for God. Your Savior wants you, you're a believer in Jesus, He wants you to respond to Satan's accusation, you're not good enough with this. And He wants you to believe it. You got it. I'm not. You're absolutely correct, devil. I don't seek a righteousness of my own that comes from my obedience to God's law. You're right. But Satan, I'll tell you, I rest in the righteousness of God that comes to me as a gift, utterly free and utterly undeserved, through my trust in Jesus Christ. When we do that in the battle on Monday and Thursday and Sunday and in marriage and in singleness and in the workplace and relationship, when we do that, we are putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate... As he sees the Roman soldier in the corner, it covered and protected from the neck down to the waist, in the front and in the back. It's protecting the vital organs of the Roman soldier. And so spiritually, Paul sees, we need the vital organs of our soul to be protected from the sword thrusts of the demonic forces which are meant to get you to stop trusting in the righteousness of Christ and to focus on yourself. So he says, put on as protection the truth of the righteousness now that word here translated righteousness is the Greek word dikaiosune. There's a family of terms that have the same essence of meaning from the noun to the adjective to the verb form. Here's the noun dikaiosune. You translate it righteousness or sometimes justification. The adjective is dikaios. Here, same thing. Which, oh, he's a righteous Man or woman or a just man. The verb dikaio means the idea of I justify you or declare that one to be righteous. Here he says, put on the breastplate of dikaiosune, of righteousness. Now, there are some scholars who think that Paul's use here of dikaiosune, of righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, may refer to practical righteousness in the Christian life, meaning pursuing holiness, the life of sanctification, repenting of sin and going the right way. 
And that is a way in which Paul does use the word dikaiosune. He does use it that way. It's not an unbiblical idea. And so that's possible. But I don't think that's what he's saying here. But rather, I think what he is saying about this armor, this breastplate, this, this is a huge part of your battle. A huge part of the whole armor of God is this breastplate. Because this is the core of the Gospel. Put it on. Know it. That, here it is in short, and this will be for the rest of the time. He is saying, put on, grasp, get, believe in the Gospel. That is, the imputed righteousness of Christ to you. Not infused righteousness. Not the righteousness that the Holy Spirit works in every believer to one extent or another, even though they are still sinners. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. No. That He imputes to you. That's different than infused. Have you ever had anybody impute to you a motive you know you didn't have? And it's very frustrating. Maybe you have hurt them or something, but you know your, your intention wasn't, but they won't, they're not buying it. And they're angry. What they have done is they didn't cause you to have a motive. They didn't do anything inside of you. They impute to you a motive you know you didn't have. It has to do with something that's inside of them. They are imputing. And the doctrine in the New Testament of the imputation of Christ's righteousness has to do with something inside of God concerning you. He imputes or He credits you. Legally, or it counts to you something that's not you and you don't have Christ's righteousness to your legal account forever. Put it on. You know, in Romans, as Paul is laying out in his fullest exposition of the gospel, he begins. Those first couple chapters, and you can sum it up this way in chapter 3 of Romans where he says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Jew or Gentile. And that's what leads Paul then into the middle of Romans chapter 3. The core of the Gospel. The core of the Christ event in history. What is the meaning of His coming in living and dying and rising? And so I pick up with Romans 3, verse 22, and he writes, yes, we're all doomed. 
But, get the word now, the dikaiosune, the righteousness of God, not yours, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. What, the way through faith means somehow there's, a, there's some kind of a tunnel through which God's righteousness comes to this person somehow. Because it comes through faith in Jesus Christ for everybody who believes. Why? Because there's no distinction. For all, Jew and Gentile, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they are, here's the verb form, they are justified or declared to be righteous. How? By the grace, by His grace, as a gift. Through the redemption that is in. Christ Jesus. So that He, God, may be, there's the adjective, just. And the verb again, also that He, God, would be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Christ came. And He came to go to the cross. And on that cross, Jesus absorbed the punishment for our sins. And and thus, removed our legal guilt for them because they have been paid for in full. But He didn't leave the believer now as an empty vacuum before the throne of God. Okay, great. I was a horrific sinner. That's gone. But I have nothing positive to my account. No. See, Christ, and the whole part of it with the cross, is His whole human life lived in perfect human righteousness. Which is then imputed to the believer. And these together, sins punished, Christ's righteousness now, which is not their own, put to their account, is at the core of justification by faith alone. You see, on the cross, our sins were imputed to Jesus. They weren't infused. God didn't take a syringe of all of our sins somehow and suck it out of us, and then shoot them into Christ's soul, and therefore He became a sinner. No, He didn't. He did no no sin. But they were reckoned to be to His account in God. And thus God punished them by punishing His Son. They were imputed to Him In Jesus' perfect humanity, perfect obedience, sinless life, right here, and this doctrine is not about it being infused in us. 
It's about nothing we have done. It's about His life, His righteousness being reckoned to us or imputed to us. His perfect righteousness is given to every believer as a gift by imputation. Put to our legal account before the justice bar of God. Those who come to saving faith are declared by the court of heaven perfectly righteous. Because it's the righteousness of that one man, Jesus Christ. It's not ours. It's not the righteousness that gets worked in us by the fruit of the Holy Spirit as believers. It is a foreign righteousness. Foreign to us. Someone else's put to our account. And Paul says, you're in a battle. Put on this breastplate. Protect your emotions and your thoughts all alone at night and the accusations you hear in your head. The fear that, that trembles at an impending death. Put on this breastplate of righteousness and revel. And so I want to continue to just help us this morning then put it on by being very redundant. Let you see it all over Scripture. To get into our souls. To grasp it. And to revel in it. And so I want you to turn now to Romans chapter 5. Paul unfolds the core of what's happening here in Romans 5 when it comes to the imputation of Christ's righteousness. I'm going to read from verse 12 through 19 and then we'll come back slowly through it. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, And death came into the world through sin. And so, death spread to all men, all women, all humans, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law of Moses was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, Death, that's the judgment of sin, reigned from Adam to Moses when the law was given, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died which they did, all of us, if many died through one man's trespass, 
much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift, it's not like the result of the one man's sin. For, for this is what I mean. The judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following, now we all live our life in all sin, following many trespasses brought dikaiosune, justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, oh, much more, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for everybody, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for everybody. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The main point of what Paul is saying here is that what Jesus has done for everybody who is in Him is parallel. Parallel to what Adam did for everyone who was in the obedience of Christ, he says, is far superior to the disobedience of Adam. The righteousness that is imputed to those who are in Christ is far superior to the sin that is imputed to those who are in Adam. And thus the life, here he's got to mean what John means, eternal life. The life that comes in Christ is far greater than the death that comes through imputed sin in Adam. That's what he says. This is not peripheral. This is not a teaching that is to be reserved for the top 20% of Christian thinkers. We'll have a class for you if you really want to understand Bible more. This is basic. This is the simple, clear gospel, good news of Jesus Christ. And it's right there in that tiny thing we call the New Testament, and it's clear. God forbid we leaders don't teach it and make it clear. Paul is saying that the 
Life in the obedience of Jesus all the way unto the horrific death is the very foundation of the gospel. The foundation of our imputed righteousness, which is at the core of what it means to be justified by God. By grace alone, through faith, alone apart from any works that you do. So, up to this point, you know, in Romans, before he gets to chapter 5 in the middle of it now, Paul, just very briefly, what has he done? Okay, Starting from chapter 1, makes it clear how we're all, have the judgment of death and impending doom before us. And we're all sinners. And it leads him to the Gospel. So he has clearly up to this point unfolded the Gospel of justification that comes by faith alone. That believers and the ungodly are declared by God perfectly righteous based on nothing in them. Nothing inherent to them. But based on another person's righteousness. Jesus's. And so now he comes to chapter 5 to try to explain it more fully by the Adam-Christ comparison. And it's worth not rushing through. Look at verse 14. And yet, death, that's God's judgment on sin, and yet death reigned from Adam in the garden to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. And as, now he defines Adam. Adam who was a type of the One who was to come. Jesus. That last clause, it's the key to the whole thing Paul is saying. Adam was a type of who Christ, who will come and did come, was. He was the pattern. It was true in Adam that he was the representative that had ramifications for all who would come forth from him. And that's a type of Christ who came. Thank God who would be the representative for all who are in Him. That's what He means. And Paul's point is to make crystal clear then what happens in salvation. When a person comes to faith in Jesus, we say, you're saved, I'm a Christian. What is it that has happened? And he lays out how that's happened, how Jesus Himself is the foundation of our justification. And so he begins there in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through 
one man. And death came through sin. Conclusion? And so death spread to all humans because all sinned. So Paul just said that sin entered the world through one man, Adam, in the fall in the garden. And thus, through sin, the judgment, the penalty of death. And then he said, this judgment on sin... It wasn't confined to that one man. But it spread. It spread out to every human being since. Why? That's the last clause. Because everybody sinned. Now, here's one of the, in my opinion, one of the biggest questions for the whole Bible. What does that phrase mean? Because all sin. The answer to that is, my kids say, ginormous. It's huge. So let me give you the first option. Does this mean that when we get born, I was born in 1961, and then at some time I committed my first transgression of the law of God. Does it mean that when Joe LeMay committed his first act of sin, because he sinned, Therefore, the judgment of death then subsequently, and because of that sinning, came upon me. Or you. Or Paul. Is that what Paul means by because all sin? Because everyone, you, there it is, you sin, judgment of death. Is that what he is saying? Or. Does this mean that Adam's sin was the sin of the human race? So that when he, the first man, the representative, sinned, somehow Adam's sin was imputed to us. And thus the judgment of death was thrust upon all of us. I think it's clear that Paul here means that we all sinned. Now, back in 1963 for me, he means we all sinned in Adam, our representative. And thus his sin was put to our account, imputed to us, and that's why we are born in spiritual death and we are born dying physically. Because of judgment upon all of us. Upon the whole human race. Because we were all somehow, in some mysterious way, united to the creature, Adam, in his sinning.
And I think that's why, if you read closely now what Paul's doing here in verse 12, why he stops. Because that's what he does. He, he's got a thought, and we all do that, right? And you get, he, he stopped his thought and got back to it later, but he cuts it off when he says, because all sinned, in order to clarify what he really means by that, so that we don't infer something he doesn't mean by that. You see, you see that little dash there in your English translation? It's a good dash because that's what he's doing. He's got a thought and there's a dash. He just, okay, hold on, let me go back and make this clear. So, but if he continued on at this point, which he will later, we'll see that. His whole flow of thought is to say what? Just as sin entered through the one man, Adam, so also through the one man, Jesus Christ, righteousness and life entered the world and it spread to all who are in Christ. But he doesn't do that yet. He stops. Because the whole comparison of Christ with Adam is at stake in how you understand what he means by because all sinned. If we don't understand because all sinned in the way that he meant it, then Paul's entire comparison between Adam and Christ may get distorted. And we will not see the greatness of justification by grace through faith for what it really is. Just think about it. Let's, for a minute. If Paul meant through one man sin and death entered into the world and thus death then spread to every human person because every human person then did their own acts of sin, if that's what he means, then the comparison is this. So also, Christ, He came into the world and through Jesus Christ, He brought righteousness and eternal life. It entered the world and it spreads to all individually. Why? Because they all individually do acts of righteousness. Did anyone see that? No. If death comes because you sin to sin, in time and space during your life, then the comparison is the only way you are righteous is because you did an act of righteousness and thus got Christ's righteousness. And that is the official doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. And there was a reformation fought over this central idea and a few others. See, what that would mean, it would mean that justification is not God's imputing 
to us, putting to the account of us Christ Jesus' righteousness. But instead, it's our performing acts of righteousness, penance, Yes, with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the help of Jesus, couldn't do it without that, but then we do perform it, and then on the basis of the culmination of the act of righteousness, we are then being reckoned righteous. And I think that's precisely why Paul stops to explain so that we don't make that error in interpreting what he means. Let me just restate the flow of what I see here. Paul is saying, justice through one man, sin and death came into the world and death spread to every human being because all of them sinned in Adam. And his sin was imputed to them. So also, through the one man, Jesus Christ. Righteousness entered the world and life, eternal life, through the righteousness. And that life spread to everybody who is in Christ because His righteousness is imputed to them. That's what's happening when a person gets saved, is born again, in other words, comes to embrace this message. I love it. I want it. I believe it. You're saved. That's what happens in the throne room, in the courtroom of God. The basis of our acceptance before God, Satan doesn't want real believers to really grasp this, he loves to torment. The basis of our acceptance before God is not our fruit of the Spirit. It's not any of our righteous deeds worked by the Holy Spirit. Our basis of acceptance with God is Jesus' perfect life lived alone which has been put to our account. The parallel between the first Adam and the second Adam that Paul is making clear here is this. Just as Adam's sin is imputed to us because we were in Him, so now Christ's righteousness is imputed to us because we are in him. And so he draws now the comparison verses 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, Christ, leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam's, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Christ, the many will be made righteous. So, believer, grasping this, 
is your life. Getting it. Bathing in it. Every day as you wake up in battle as a sinner who is being saved by Christ. This is your life. This is your breastplate of protection for your inner guts and organs. The judicial consequences of Adam's sin are experienced by all human beings. We're born dying. I didn't do anything. We're born spiritually dead without God in this world hardened and darkened. That is God's judgment on the one humanity. And it's experienced therefore by all of us. Not on the basis of our individually committing acts of sin as Adam did, but on the basis of our being in Adam and his sin being imputed to us. As soon as believers see this, then we see much more clearly the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus. The judicial consequences of Jesus' righteousness and perfect human life are experienced by all His people not on the basis of their doing righteous acts like Jesus did. No. But on the basis of our being in Christ and His righteous life being put to our account forever. Imputed to us. Paul is he's unpacking the Christ event in history. He came into the world, was conceived in Mary's womb without a human father. Very human, yet without original sin. Sin nature. It wasn't imputed to him through Adam. He's the second Adam. He's the last Adam. He's the fulfillment or the parallel to the type that Adam was. And he came and he cried as a baby and he grew as a toddler. And he was a carpenter. And about 30 years of age, he showed up at the Jordan and he was baptized. And we saw last week in Luke 4, right? Oh, okay, go to the garden. There's Adam in the garden. And there's the serpent, the tempter. And then the Holy Spirit takes this second Adam out to the wilderness in order to be tempted. And how did He do? He took the written Word of God. It was His weapon of truth we saw last week. And He did not do what Adam did. He did not sin. He did not disobey. He lived all the way up to that point through the 40 days in the wilderness and unto His last breath on the cross in perfect human obedience to His Father. And He did it for us.
and our salvation. Paul says that the remedy for the damage that was done by the disobedience of Adam in the garden is Christ. The second Adam. And that's it. There is no other remedy for the problem of imputed sin and thus judgment for that sin. All of humanity's religions, self-help programs, better yourself now in middle age, stop doing things as badly as you had been doing them, all of those things offer nothing to the problem of God's holiness and His judgment upon us sinners. There is no salvation from that fatal damage which was done through Adam to every human being. Whether they are a Jew or a Gentile, there's one foundational, fundamental problem in the human race and it began with Adam's sin. The problem with humanity is not foundationally our individual sinning. That all religions are thus created out of and trying to seek different solutions for. It's not it. But our problem is the connection we all have with the first man. Adam and his sin. Many died through one man's trespass. The judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. One trespass led to condemnation for everybody. By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. We all sin. And our sins are real and they're enough to condemn us forever. But we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners by nature. Adam's sin was imputed before I came into existence to my account. And thus as I come into existence, judgment was on me. That's why I was born a God-hater. I was born in darkness and loving sin, as Paul lays out in chapter 2 of Ephesians. By nature, I was a child of God's wrath. Be 
Because his sin became mine, and thus his judgment became my judgment. This either jettison the Bible, jettison Christianity, or believe it. But it's clear. This is the real world we live in. This is the real predicament of a God who created. There is only one Savior from that plight that we're all in. And He stands in Adam's place as a kind of second Adam, a last Adam. And in His one life and His death of perfect obedience, He undoes what Adam did. In Adam, every human being was appointed a sinner. But, if you get that, now you're going to get why the Gospel is the good news. All who are in Christ, come to Christ, be in Christ, are appointed righteous perfectly forever. And so Paul's command, his exhortation, his pleading with us as believers is to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Know it, in other words. Understand it. Protect yourself from trusting in your own works of legalism on the one hand. And protect yourself from the voices in your head from the enemy. <laughs> Look at you. How long have you been a Christian? Oh, are you sure you love Jesus? I saw that thought. I see that act. Look at that. You blew it. Again. Protect yourself by saying, Oh, Satan. I stand justified before God. Talk all you will. Yes, I'm a sinner, even though I am yet a sinner. The resurrection's coming one day. Yes, sin will be with me. But, Jesus' righteousness, you couldn't get Him to sin. That's what I rest in. And then quote to Him Scripture. Satan, look at Romans 8.1. There is therefore now, right now, Satan, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm in Him. Don't leave, devil. I want you to look at Romans 4 with me too. Here it is. But what does the Scripture say? See that, Satan? It says this, Abraham performed all kinds of acts of righteousness that pleased God. It doesn't say that, devil. It says Abraham believed God. 
And that faith was imputed to him. It's righteousness. Or a better way to say it, righteousness through his faith was imputed to him. Now to the one who works, yes, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as what is due him. And to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly. That's me. That person's faith is counted or reputed as righteousness. Oh, Satan, one more right here. Romans 4. That is why Abraham's faith was imputed to him as righteousness. But Satan, listen, the words it was imputed to him were not written for Abraham's sake alone, but for mine, for ours also. It will be imputed to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for my sins. And He was raised for my justification. Put on the breastplate of righteousness by being filled with the truth of Paul's words in Philippians 3. But whatever gain I had in all my religiosity, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage in order that I may gain Christ. In order that I may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from my obedience to the law, but that which comes through Faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. How? By knowing the doctrine of Christ's righteousness imputed to all who are in Him. As Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake, God made Christ to be sin, imputed our sin to Him, made Him the sin offering. That is, Christ, the One who knew no sin. Why did He do it? so that 
in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. This is our salvation. And knowing it will not let the schemes of the devil deter you. Particularly in your darkest hours of depression, of financial reversals, of guilt over your sinning on your deathbed. Be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to you. Distinct from the righteousness in your walk being worked in you. Oh, Father, this is precious. Your Son is precious. We know now why Paul said you can't wait to tell people in Rome about this. Because this very Gospel is the power of God unto salvation for any and everyone who will believe. For in this Gospel, the righteousness of God is unfolded. We thank You for the gift of Your Son, of His perfect human Righteousness lived for us as He died for us to the glory of His holy name. Amen.